Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, King of the Delta Blues Singers by Robert Johnson. Micaiah, arguably the first rock star, and I'm going to qualify that statement by saying the first rock star in that he is someone who's legacy whose kind of mythos uh his 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 story um his legend is bigger than he is what do we need to know right up front and it's a lot about robert leroy johnson yeah that's fair to say um because robert johnson is there's a, a long been a cult of fascination around him um, and we and it's so much that's because we know so little about him, which is great. And uh, speaking of you know like the rock star thing, he's kind of the founding member of the Twenty Seven Club. He died young, at twenty seven, you know. So that just plays into all these kind of rock and roll myths that we love. And there, are, you know, people who are just like, oh well, uh, was he poisoned? Was he murdered? And now the kind of running theories he had syphilis. Um, you know, and so, you know, having lived in Mississippi, you know, you, you hear a lot of things of like, oh, in this town, like there's a grandson over here or a great grandson over here and like his widows from over. So a lot of, a lot of people kind of claiming mm-hmm. lineage to Robert Johnson also. And it's probably legitimate, honestly. Yeah. Um, in, in at least three different uh, grave sites yep. that all, all claim to be his. Yep. Yep, that's that's unclear too. The the gravesite thing and another kind of great thing is there are only like that I know of uh, two known photographs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one which is on the you know the complete Robert Johnson you know with him in the hat and his ginormous hands and his suit smiling like that's Robert Johnson. Um, not a very rock star looking image, but there's another image uh, that's much closer up. And his hands look even larger and his eyes, you know, he looks, um, you know, like he's been indulging in substances of maybe a mixed variety. He's mm-hmm. kind of have a cigarette hanging out and you're like, oh, that's the guy that people are just like, that dude has literally met the devil. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a much more rock and roll image. But the biggest thing when it comes to like the myth or the person of Robert Johnson is the idea of the crossroads. And this has kind of become a thing in American mythology of meeting at the crossroads and meeting the devil at the crossroads, which isn't even his own invention. It comes from someone named Tommy Johnson, another blues singer who's uh, older than him. But Robert Johnson, you know, uh, growing up in, in the Mississippi Delta was not a really great singer, not a much of a writer and certainly not a very good guitar player. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't. But then he leaves for a while. No one knows where. And there's been a lot of research and studying to figure out what he, where he went. Uh, he comes back and he says that he met the devil and he sold his soul to the devil to play guitar. And he comes back with skills that rival everyone. You know, Sun House is just like, what is this? Where did this come from? Sun House knew Robert Johnson. He, he'd say he was not good. <laughs> you, you know, nothing to write home about. And then he just comes back with just these unparalleled skills. And 
and does two recording sessions ever, like in his life, has a total of like 29 original songs, 41 tracks, including because there are a couple takes of some of those songs, and that's his entire catalog. Yeah, that's everything. That's everything we have from him. You know, yeah, uh, recorded 1936, 1937, and then lights out, dies at 27. Um, and he is kind of the most important figure um, in blues music and one of the most pivotal figures in, in blues becoming the kind of the precursor to rock and roll music. I mean, it can't be understated just how influential just this one person is with such a small output, yet every song is historic. Yeah, I, I want to, not that I want to push back against that at all, but I, I think that there is so much of Robert Johnson, again, that we don't know, that we read into the things we don't know. We read into the absence of information, all of these stories that kind of perpetuate the myth and the legend. And it seems to be that the the kind of legend, the crossroads legend is certainly something, like you said, was was a a big part of Southern culture, especially in the Mississippi Delta. Um, you know, again, an, an idea that w- was already kind of, you know, pre- precursor to him, already in the blues kind of framework ahead of him, but more to this idea of the kind of old, like Southern juke joints and churches that, that in the Mississippi Delta, in these plantations, this idea of kind of competing allegiances in so much of the kind of early 20th century view of the juke joint music, no matter what that was, but this is also the era where like the blues are really being born um, was that that's the devil's music. And so this idea that, you know, Robert Johnson, who lost his first wife in, in child, in childbirth, very young, um, and then committed his life to playing guitar. Uh, he spent some time in Robinsonville, Mississippi, right around the time that Sun House, who again was a well-known established blues musician, moves to the area. And Sun House is really the one who I think plays a big role in kind of perpetuating this myth because Sun House and Willie Brown would play together in Robinsonville. And so early on, a very young Robert Johnson is kind of wanting to play with them or, or play around on guitar during their breaks in these sets. Um, and then he takes off for a year. And, and so again, from those in Robinsonville, now again, this is a period of time really, you know, hey, before cell phones and really before most people in this economic background or of this race had access to kind of any form of transportation or communication, you know, much beyond just, oh, have you heard? And so the nature of kind of myth and story is also so deeply built in to that early 20th century Southern culture there. But by most accounts, he leaves Robinsonville to return to um, uh, what is the Hazelhurst, Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Um, and then there's an area around Hazelhurst, which is Martinsville, 
uh, that he goes and he kind of looks for his biological father. And that's where ultimately he meets another established and really great blues guitar player, Ike Zimmerman. And it's Ike Zimmerman who really, from, you know, from all accounts, teaches him to teaches him to play the blues. And again, you know, who knows how much is true of this, but the, the story goes that Ike Zimmerman taught him to play the blues by playing at night in graveyards. Again, even, even that, you know, there's a part of that where you're like, Hmm, I wonder if how much of that was just trying to find a quiet place to play where you wouldn't, you know, aggravate or annoy people. How much of that was maybe something that happened one time, but it blends so much into that devil at the crossroads story that, you know, that kind of grows its own legs. And so then, yeah, some, somewhere between eight months and about a year and a half later, he's back in Robinsonville and he sees Sun House and Sun House and Willie Brandt, Brown at this point are amazed at his guitar playing. And this is where Robert Johnson, according to Sun House, tells him that he sold his soul to the devil to play guitar like this. Um, again, who, who knows how much of that you know, how much of that myth is true, how much of that is just legend, how much of that is just a great story that has grown its own legs uh, since his death. Um, but what we do know is, like you said, he recorded, he had two recording sessions. He recorded once in San Antonio and once in Dallas. And essentially those two day recording sessions in 1936 and again in 1937 are all that we have um, there were a few of those songs released as 10 inch, um, 78 RPM singles. Um, but by and large, the majority of his recorded work was virtually unknown until Don Law, who was the recording engineer who worked on both of those recording sessions, the one in San Antonio in 36 and the one in Dallas in 37, he worked on both of those recording sessions and he found himself working for Columbia Records in the early 60s and ultimately was behind the release of kind of a greatest hits compilation of the recordings that Columbia Records now owned. And it was released in 1961 as King of the Delta Blue Singers. What we know today is King of the Delta Blue Singers, Volume 1. Volume 2 was released three years later, which was the, the remainder of his recorded work. Uh, but that 61 King of the Delta Blues Singers is the album that we're here to talk about. And so Micaiah is someone who has a master's degree in Southern Studies. I, I want to ask you, before we talk specifically about this album, talk to us about 1930s Mississippi Delta, what was happening musically there? And then what is it between his death in 1938 and ultimately the release of this album in 1961? What is kind of happening to the legend and the story of Robert Johnson? And how does the release of this record finally in 1961 explode that legend? With a suitcase in my hand And I followed her to the station With a 
with a suitcase in my hand. Well, it's hard to tell, it's hard to tell when all your love's in vain, all my love's in vain. When the train roll up to the station, I looked her in the eye. When the train rolled up to the station, and I looked her in the eye. Well, I was lonesome, I felt so lonesome, and I could not help but cry. All my love's in vain. When the train it left the station, with two lights on behind. When the train it left the station, with two lights on behind. Well, the blue light was my blue, and the red light was my mind. All my love's in vain. So one thing we have to know about Mississippi, the 1930s, um, is that, you know, Mississippi, you know, black people are referred to as minorities in Mississippi, black people are the majority of the population. And yet, um, in the 1930s, they are, you know, um, really living under new slavery. A lot of them are sharecroppers. You know, so a lot of these people who were, when they were young, um, grew up as slaves on a plantation, grew up to be sharecroppers working on the same land, you know, that they were slaves on, uh, you know, stuck in the sharecropper, uh, specifically at Dockery Farms is kind of the, the most famous one. And a lot of blues people come out of Dockery Farms and out of the, out of the sharecrop system. A lot of civil rights leaders come out of you know, our, our sharecroppers, you know, sons and daughters. Um but also the 1930s in Mississippi, a very violent time. You know, in the 1930s, you know, the 1930s were were more segregated than the era of of slavery, um, but also very harsh laws that apply strictly to black people. Um, and there's a lot of lynching, uh, a lot of you know posse's and mob violence uh, lynching black people for any reason. Uh, vagrancy, uh, alcoholism, um, whistling at a white woman, looking at a white woman, lighting a cigarette for a white woman, suing a white man who killed his cow. I mean, I mean, it's it is endless. The list is endless of, of reasons um, that the black people were lynched, and so that's why you get like um, you know the, the next movement in blues is the Chicago blues sound right the electric blues and even robert johnson has a song about you know going to chicago and that's part of the great migration which is also happening in the 1930s uh, because of the railroad system and that's why the railway uh, 
is such an important kind of symbol in blues music. Why so much of the guitar sounds have the shuffling sound of a train, why their howling sounds like a train whistle, right? It's an escape. Um, and that is in Robert Johnson's music and, and many other Delta blues singers, right? This, this idea of going North and leaving. So, and a lot of people did, uh, they went to Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh, New York, um, DC, you know, I mean, anywhere to, to get out of but a lot of people. And we're not able to, and a lot of those are these, you know, these Delta blues musicians who were, you know, um, creating, you said something about the devil's music and a lot of what was, why it was called the devil's music is not just because Robert Johnson would say that he had meetings with the devil is that they thought that the sound of the guitar itself was devilish because of the unconventional ways they were playing the guitar, white people who were listening to it thought it was impure sounds. A lot of that was because of the slide. And, you know, before we have slides like we have now, we just go to guitar center and buy a slide. This may be glass or metal. Uh, people would use bottles, uh, you know, just the parts of, you know, a, a glass bottle as a slide. But even before that, literally bones, chicken bones, and more specifically, and use the chicken bones to slide up and down the neck of the guitar. So you have white people seeing black people playing guitar using the bones of dead animals, bending the notes right out of shape, making the slide. It, 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 they called it impure. They called it unholy. And then you add to the fact that they're singing about death and they're singing about violence and they're singing about the devil. I mean, this was unholy, scary music. I mean, I mean, just think of how people responded to hip hop in the eighties and nineties, right? It's, it's very similar and how people will respond to rock and roll music, in the 1950s, you know, so it, it, it did make people afraid, but that of course for other people who were into it is what made it so exciting, you know, especially if you, I mean, how, how much music do we listen to from the 1930s that isn't like blues music or folk music? Cause it was boring. It was lame. It, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, 40s pop music. God, it bores me to tears. But yeah. you listen to some like blues music from the 40s. And you, you, you know, you're listening to people who are talking about what it means to live in the deep south and what it means to live in the in the Midwest. I'm talking about, you know, other folk heroes. You know, that is much more resonant than as, you know, Dylan says in the No Direction Home. Talking about, you know, pop music at the time was how much is that doggy in the window? Mm hmm. But then you listen to stuff like this, you find something like Robert Johnson, you know, and all of a sudden it, it opens up an entire new world, you know? And so, yeah, so that, that's kind of blues music. And I, and I also want to say that Robert Johnson is, you know, the king of the Delta blues singers, but kind of the father of the Delta blues. A lot of people kind of will point to is, is Charlie Patton, uh, Charlie Patton, who was a minister and a, a revolutionary guitar player as well. Um, had an incredible voice. He had red hair, actually. Um, you know, very interesting character. You know, Fahey was obsessed with Charlie Patton. Uh, every, everyone who plays blues guitar, they will tell you Charlie Patton is right there with Robert Johnson. But Robert Johnson happens to have this incredible compilation that comes out in 1961, which is an important year because that's the folk revival. You know, that's where you get your Joan Baez. Dylan's first album is in 1962. You have uh, the Newport Folk Festival. Uh, Muddy Waters, Live in Newport, comes out in 1960. You know, Howlin' Wolf is there. So there, there is a, a an interest in blues music in the late 50s and early 60s 
especially now from white audiences who didn't have access previously to this music. Um, and it's because people are, are, have spent years now listening to rock and roll music, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and then they, they're finding, you know, where, where's this coming from? We have to go further back, go to the Delta, right? And so that's when people start digging. They find this stuff. Of course, you have to literally have, used to have to find those 10-inch records, which were fairly popular. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they weren't entirely unaccessible. They, they did exist, and they were found, and people listened to them, and they played those songs, and they stole the lyrics. You know, that's the folk writing process is, is a lot of borrowing and stealing. You know, so they, they were popular. There was a demand for the compilation in 1961. You know, that's why it did so well. And that's why we're still talking about it. And that's why it's probably going to be the only record on our list, you know, that's recorded in the 1930s, you know, because there's something about this that just still speaks to people. Yeah. I, I do wonder if we'll see a return to prominence because I want to point to the, um, some of the lists that we see the Rolling Stone list ranks this album King of the Delta blue singers in the original 2003 iteration of the list. It was number 27. This was a top 30 album in the 2020 list. It dropped to 374. Yeah. And so I, I do wonder how much, and I wonder if it is as well, kind of like we saw with our Rolling Stones episode, as we saw all of those albums dropping, then, you know, but are, are you also seeing the kind of the big bands of the boomer generation that were influenced by Robert Johnson as their kind of importance falls? Are we also seeing Robert Johnson's? But but I hope that there's a return, kind of a resurgence of love for uh, love for Robert Johnson in love in particular for this incredible 16 track album, um, which is really I mean, if you think of someone who has only recorded twice, has a recording session in November of 1936 in June in 1937. Between these two recording sessions of 29 songs i think it's 41 or 42 total tracks total recordings to his name the number of them that have become kind of blues standards the the high percentage of these that are classic blues songs and then not only that the the number of uh, the number of things that are kind of state staples of blues music that really these are the first recordings we get of those things. So, so many of the kind of guitar walk downs, so many of the kind of um, the, the, the use of the slide that you already mentioned, but the very particular kind of almost out of tune use Mm -hmm. of the slide, like bending to an out of tune note. Those are all things that we hear for the first time in recorded music on this album, even though, of course, during that time, we recognize there were a lot of musicians. I'm, I'm a fan of Sun House, who was not just a contemporary, but even a little older than Robert mm-hmm. Johnson. Um, you know, there's no recordings of Ike Zimmerman that have survived. Um, really, so many of those artists, even someone like Muddy Waters, who we got such a great kind of 
later career recording career from him. But Muddy Waters was an early contemporary of Robert Johnson. Muddy Waters was also playing some of these juke joints in Mississippi in the late 30s during the same period of time that Robert Johnson was. And so you you have a lot of people who knew of Robert Johnson or were influenced in some ways by him or just he had the he was the first one to to do that thing that they were hearing in the juke joints and he's putting it on a record but that all leads into this not just being a great album but I think what we could fairly say is a very important album and this may be among the most important albums that we've done so far in our list historically Certainly. Well, Makai, let's take a break. Let's let our listeners hear from our sponsors, Mirror Coffee Roasters and Spotify for Podcasters. And then I want to come back and talk about King of the Delta Blues Singers, this 16-track album. I also want to talk a little bit about kind of the total, the complete recordings of Robert Johnson's and... uh, talk a little bit about why we want this album on our list so listeners we'll be right back i want to take a second and tell you a little bit about mirror coffee roasters mirror coffee roasters are pursuing excellence from coffee farm to cup the goal at mirror coffee roasters has always been to use coffee as a tool for change whether that's a bag of coffee on your kitchen counter or creating a sustainable, human-focused sourcing practice that goes far beyond generic marketing labels. No matter how you enjoy your coffee, Mirror Coffee Roasters is here to help you on your journey and elevate your coffee experience. I want to encourage you to go to their website, mirrorcoffeeroasters.com today and check out their coffee box a four bag sampler box of some of their best coffees from Colombia, Guatemala, and Ethiopia. Check out Mirror Coffee Roasters today. Hey, it's going to be raining out. 
King of the King of the Delta Blues Singers comes out in 1961, where the LP is still not still King, but it's um it's still kind of a a new art form, really. Yeah, I mean, um, this, is, this is really ahead of what we would often think about as being like the LP era. Yeah, you know, so it's it's obviously post, you know, in the wee small hours by uh, Frank Sinatra, the 1955 record, which definitely changes kind of what an LP can be, you know. But um, so it's ni- 1961, right? It's things are about to change, you know. Uh, Beatles will hit the scene in 1963. 1965, I think, is when people say like, okay, the LP era is here. You know, bring it back home. Highway 61 revisit Rubber Soul and Help, uh, and everyone else knows all the rest. You know, but even if you look at bringing it all back home, an album that announces the LP era, Bob Dylan's. You know, there, there there's a copy of King of the Delta Blues Singers on that cover. You can see it; it's visible. You know, which is you know, way of Dylan to be like, this is the new direction. You know, and so much of what happens on bring all back home and highway 61 or visit are, you know, uh, songwriting structures. Some are direct lines. Some are lines that Dylan has changed, you know, that come from that album. That is a way that, that, you know, King of Delta Blue singers opened up Dylan when he went electric, ironically, right. Cause you know, there's, this is not a King of Delta Blue singers, not an electric album. Um, and yet, a combination of that plus the electric guitar is what opens up Dylan in that historic groundbreaking, you know, era of his career. Yeah. Uh, but in this LP also gets passed around by a young Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, you know, then they bond over, we talked about love in vain being on, let it bleed, you know, so they bond, this is an early bonding thing for them. You know, it's, um, it's something that is, it's like uh, the, the, if you know, you know, kind of thing. Uh, especially for like white artists, just like, Oh, have you heard of, you know, it's finding like, it's like finding underground hip hop, you know, it's just like, Oh yeah. So you, I mean, you think Kendrick Lamar is cool. Okay. But like, have you heard so-and-so they're from Brooklyn? They only release mixtapes, but I have a copy of, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's an underground thing. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. You know, it's very cool to be listening to lead belly and Robert Johnson in the early sixties, you know, with like the rest of the beatniks, you know, um, but so it's it's important to the LP era, you know. It's it's also one that an LP that's still being pressed. You can yeah. go to the record store and get King of the Delta Blue. I saw it at uh, my local record store at Half Price Books. They have a copy of the LP, right? A, a new copy being you know. So I mean, there's still a demand for this record. It's still being pressed. It's not hard to find, you know. So it, it is still an album and a record that people want to have on their shelves because there is something, you know, and it, first of all, it's a great cover. Yeah. Also, it's a great cover. It's a great title and the compilation rules. So it is a compilation. It is 16 songs, but also oddly, a couple of the tracks aren't the recordings that had already been passed around. Yes. So like the recording of Crossroad Blues is actually an alternate take that's yeah. not the 10 inch record that have been passed around. Mm-hmm. So it's a cool compilation. Cause not only do you have some songs that you, know, you hadn't heard before, you heard different versions of those songs. So that's very exciting. Now, ironically, that's the most iconic version 
of the song is not the original that's the most iconic it's this version yeah and, you know, and so what's so interesting is like at least three of of his kind of best-selling um at least three of his his like best-selling um singles you know the the 10 inch 78 rpm uh singles at least three of those the their single version is not on this so so like you said the crossroad blues come on in my kitchen me and the devil blues like all three of these as well as some others but those three in particular like those are three singles that had done well for him Uh and by the time you get to 1961 it's we're going to do the alternate take of this and i imagine for those collectors for those people who did have their hands on those 10 inch records through the 40s and 50s, what a treat it must have been to get this record in 1961. Yeah, because you probably had those three. Yeah. Right? So you didn't need another version of the, you know, or you didn't need just like those three again. So to have alternate versions of them, I think is, that's a cool move. You have people who are, you know, these beatniks who are going to the Newport Folk Festival, which is in full effect. Then, you know, it's just, it's, it's a great timing for this LP, you know, there are people still alive who are talking about Robert Johnson. It's, it's the way people talk about other comedians, talk about other comedians. Well, you'll, you'll have just like a room full of just like the most famous and funniest people in the world. And they'll be like, Oh man, no, Jimmy, he was the best. Nobody wanted to follow him at the laugh factory or, or the improv or whatever. And no one knows this guy's name. He's just a, He's just a headshot in the green room at a comedy club, but everyone in the comedy scene knows that was the funniest guy who you were afraid to follow, you know, and that that's, that's kind of the appeal of the myth of Robert Johnson too, you know, where he didn't live long enough to make a bunch of weird career mistakes or, or you know, or to prove himself to just be like a, a novelty. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he just became this kind of giant. And, and the less you knew about him, kind of the more appealing he was. Now, all that being said, the myth is fun. The stories mm-hmm. are fun. Okay. But if the songs on the record weren't any good, we would not care. Yeah. It wouldn't matter at all. Yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, no offense to Tommy Johnson, has the same story. Yeah. So, so to the devil, the crossroads, and he becomes like a little bit more immortalized in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where they have a character named Tommy Johnson who helps them record the song. Okay, so like he gets that, he gets his, you know. But if Robert Johnson's songs were whack, you know, they would just be like, oh, did you know there were two guys who weren't related who have the same <laughs> last name who talked about meeting the devil at the crossroads? Like these songs are more important than the myth and the man. They go hand in hand, mm-hmm. but the songs are ultimately more important.
The story of Robert Johnson doesn't change how we tell stories about rock stars, but the music changes how music is made for the rest of time. Yeah. So the, the music is much more important. Uh, no, I know. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Um, uh, listener, you're going to hear, um, a, you're going to hear a bunch of music from this record, but the 16 tracks on King of the Delta Blues singers Let's go side by side, if you can, Micaiah. And instead of doing kind of like our five from this 16 track record, let's do three per side and, uh, and just talk about them. So for me, on side A, of course, we're going to start right off with Crossroad Blues, which uh-huh. again, not only has it become a standard, um, this is a song that even if you're listening to this and you're like, Robin Micaiah, why are you talking about a guy who has been dead since 1938 on your podcast about great albums? I don't care about blues music. I'm not familiar with any of this. I promise you listen to Crossroad Blues and you're going to immediately realize you know this song. It, mm-hmm. it, is, it is that um, kind of just in the ether of pop culture that's how well you should be. I mean, that's how well you, you should know this song. And that's how familiar you are going to be with this artist that maybe you've never even heard of before. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this obviously would be on mine also. I mean, if we're doing top 100 songs of all time, this goes on. Yeah. Right. I mean, like this, this is where it's at. You know, and if, if anyone wants to, uh, I think there's a Robert Johnson YouTube channel they have a great like lyric video that's like nice and animated and they kind of have like the facts you know and they really pay you know uh, buy into the myth and kind of play that up but it's it's a good i mean i've, I've played it for my class you know uh, my uh, intro to humanities class we do you know we have a southern music section and so we of course we talk about robert johnson um yeah i mean this song this is the slide right this is where the kind of the iconic sound of of the slide and also the the cadence, yeah, you know, like the, you know, bump, 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 bump. It's weird because you hear things there that aren't actually there, mm-hmm. and that's the magic of Robert Johnson. Is you that would swear there's drums on this track? You have the impression that it is a full band there. Yeah, that there are drums. Like there's a, you're like, isn't there a floor tom just going gum 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 gum? Isn't there a bass doing a walk bump? Boom, boom, Well, he is doing the bass, bump, boom, and he's playing the guitar part. He's doing a call and response. I went to the crossroads, you know. So, like, there's so much that he's doing right there. I mean, there is some percussion because he's tapping, so you can actually hear him tapping like a wood floor. Yeah. So you know, between him like stomping, using the slide, playing the riffs singing doing a call and response with the guitar it's just like whoa 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 like before you even clock that it's a song about him selling his soul to the devil or whatever you know it's just like musically you're just like it's like dick van dyke and mary poppins like this is like just like this um, amazing one-man band thing but it's just a guy and a guitar end of list but he has the impression right okay here's a fun fact Mm -hmm. right um one thing about the deep south and why blues musicians have to create the rhythm 
right? When they're playing the guitar, they have to be their own rhythm section and their own guitarist is because drums were historically outlawed in the South, Mm. except for New Orleans. Now they were outlawed during the era of slavery because previously uh, slaves had used drums to signal insurrections to kill plantation owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Stono Rebellion being the most famous. So after that, whites were like, okay, no more drums. Um, so that's why there's, uh, you know, the, the guitar becomes so important in the way that they play the guitar. The emphasis on the rhythm is to make up for the lack of percussion. And so that's why he's doing double duty here. Uh, being his own drummer, his own bassist, the guitarist, uh, the singer. I mean, he's doing everything. You know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. earlier on but i do want to make mention of again there's only two photographs that have survived of robert johnson 
And one of them is the one that you see on the cover of the complete recordings. And what's interesting about it is the length of his fingers. There's, it's kind of like when, um, what's his name? When, when Michael Phelps broke all of those swimming records and then you realize like, oh, well, this is a person who like has a genetically engineered body to do this where, you know, he has a, his arm wingspan is, you know, like a foot and a half, you know, wider than his height and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things about him in very much the same way, Robert Johnson had hands that allowed him to do things on the guitar that kind of like we were saying earlier, like Sun House and Willie Brown were not doing because they couldn't because to your point physically not capable of doing absolutely Johnson could do because of the size of his hands exactly and so because of that there are things to think about you know take a moment if you will listener and hold your left hand out or your right hand out depending upon what your dominant hand is hold your hand out and imagine wrapping that around the neck of a guitar Now imagine having a slide and the slide would essentially take the entire length of one finger and make it flat against the neck of a guitar. Now imagine having the ability with your thumb to come around the backside of the neck on over the top of the neck and with your thumb play the bass notes on your lowest string. And because of the length of his hand, because of because of how big his hand was and how long his fingers were, Robert Johnson was able to do that. What we would think of if you if you imagine it on piano, he could essentially play the right and left hand notes on the guitar at the same time because of his hand being able to wrap entirely around the neck. And that's really something you see on display. And to Micaiah's point, it allows him to function really as a one man band. So then you add in these early recording techniques that are, that are there. It's generally one microphone. It's not the microphone and vocals, you know, mic'd together. It's one microphone doing the guitar, doing the vocals and also picking up the rim noise. So even though there aren't drums, you are getting his foot taps in the recording as well. So it really functions as a one-man band performance in a way that music was, I mean, in the 1930s, that is not what music sounded like. It's easy to be like, oh, well, Robert Johnson was the first person to do, I mean, this this is what blues music sounded like. If you were in the juke joint, right, again, there's no amplification. Yeah. There's no amplification. There are no drums. So if you're in the juke joint, I mean, you are plucking the hell out of those strings. You are stomping your foot, right? So that you can be heard over a bunch of people dancing and hooting and hollering in a juke joint, right? So you got to be able to play and you got to play loud, right? And so, you know, we, you know, he didn't have kind of like the playback, you know, so he's playing with this great intensity um, that isn't on other recordings, especially like popular music recordings, because they probably, you know, know what it's like, how much you have to do for the mic to pick up, mm-hmm. you know? So he's, he's going really hard too. And that's one thing, you know, listening to this record over and over again, to get ready for it is that it's not like a slow, boring record. It's very exciting. The songs are very exciting. The The guitar is very exciting. You know, there, there is a, a lot more high energy on here than you would think. I mean, now it's not 
particularly fast or like up tempo, but like there there is an energy here that people might not expect going into a Delta Blues record from the thirties, you know. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to what would be the the second track for me on side A, which was also his number one selling single during his lifetime. Uh, it was a regional hit for him in Memphis and Clarksdale, um, kind of all over uh, the, the Mississippi Delta, um, sold more than 5,000 copies. Again, imagine a, a, a poor 26-year-old selling 5,000 copies of a 10-inch record, and he did, of Terraplane Blues. I mean, a great track. And I mean, this is another kind of like another historic track. There's just like dynamics here that you don't think. I think people think that blues music is gump, go dump, bo dump, bo down, 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 gum, gum. But this is like, you know, long before that. So there, there are way more dynamics and parts and riffs mm-hmm. and sections to yeah. a song like this than you would think. It's not just because even folk music at the time, right? Four chords right? Three chords, four chords. This is not just three or four car, four chords, the standard blues. Like this is, there's nothing like conventional about what's happening on this track as, as, in terms of like the guitar playing. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, just, I mean, the, the guitar is just, just, and then there's, he, he, he creates moments where he's not playing, uh, which is, you know, he does that a lot, which, you know, is something that people say a lot about jazz, which is interesting. If you have a jazz band, it's even a bolder move to do. If you're just one person <laughs> to decide not to play, or if you just want to knock on the guitar or just like bend one, bend one note for just like for a hot second, you know, there, there there's so many like kind of sections and fragments like of this song. that are just like endlessly interesting to me. Yeah, I'm not going to count this as my second one. Uh, do I get to go to my second one? Yeah, what's your second? All right, so mine would be uh, 3220 Blues, uh, which, again, going back to the guitar here, um, is just just incredible and mind-blowing. Um, mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm going to play it for myself real quick. I sent for my baby, and she don't come. Shoot my pistol, gonna shoot my Gatling gun. I'm gonna shoot my 
pistol, got to shoot my gallon gun. You made me love you, now your man have come. Oh, baby, why you stay last night? Ah, baby, why you stay last night? You got the hell tangled and you ain't talking right. So talk, I mean, the opening riff, this is exactly what we're talking about. We talked about during Crossroad Blues, but it's more important here where you hear the gump, 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 ba-dump, bump of the bass and ding, ding, I mean, like, this is like the full band guitar thing here uh, that is just endlessly impressive uh, to me. Um, highly influential, you've covered frequently. I mean, let's let's just for our listeners' sake, let's go down the list of all the people who have done covers of this song. So Muddy Waters has done a cover of it. The New York Dolls did a cover of this song. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan has done a cover of this song. Eric Clapton has done a cover of this song. The Flamin' Groovies have done a cover of this song. Government Mule has done a cover of this song. Uh, Keith Richards, the Cowboy Junkies, Cassandra Wilson, uh, Peter Loeffner did a cover of this song. I mean, this, again, for for a song that uh, was released as a night, as a single in... Uh, April of 1937 and you know a little over a year later it's it's artists would be dead it's amazing to me that this song has the legs that it has but again when you listen to it listener like you just did this is exciting this is invigorating there is something really amazing happening in this song yeah I mean and also I mean lyrically it's exciting with all the violence mm-hmm. uh you know uh the 3220 she has her 38 special you know there there are guns involved uh you know i'm going to shoot my gun which right there's that double entendre right obviously the violence but also right the sexual innuendo and uh you have these things that will appear in other blues songs you know he says where'd you sleep last night which becomes huge for you know a huge kind of line for lead belly and the nirvana does that for unplugged it becomes this historic thing right i mean it, th- this is the roots of all that my girl my girl don't
I mean, like every every note is a gift. Every line is a gift. You know, it's just like, you know, just here here are the tools for 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 music in the next forty years. Here you go. You know, if he only made this song, you know, people would be like, you know, like there's is to be it'd still be one of the most influential songs, you know, of all time. If this is all we had left of him, you know, it's uh yeah, just, just an incredible song. So, Rob, what's your number three for side one? Well, my guess is that my third and your third are probably going to be the same. And that mine, mine is Kind Hearted Woman Blues. Mine is not. is actually the very first song that Robert Johnson ever recorded. Uh, so this is the so the the song you're hearing on this uh, on this compilation. This is the first time ever that Robert Johnson is putting a song to wax. And um, one of the things that I love about this song is that one of the things we've talked about with Bob Dylan and folk music is that we can sometimes forget that blues is folk music it's it has some some unique uh 
genre specific kind of archetypes to it. Um, there's, there's a specific style of guitar playing that we often hear, but it functions as folk music. And just like folk music, you know, there's the old saying that, that good, good writers borrow from other writers, great writers steal. And that is absolutely what Robert Johnson is doing here. There was a song that had been released in 1935 by Bumblebee Slim called Cruel Hearted Woman Blues. And really all Robert Johnson is doing is taking that single, taking the, you know, the same way he's singing it, changing the lyrics from Cruel Hearted Woman Blues to Kind Hearted Woman Blues. And the difference, of course, is that Robert Johnson in his very first recording is introducing an eight bar bridge. So he is introducing essentially a guitar solo into a folk song for arguably not just the first time in his career, since this is his first recording, but perhaps the first time, again, I'm not a music historian, but if this is his first recording in November of 1936, I don't know how many other recordings from that period of time have a built-in bridge for a guitar solo. And that's what he's doing here in this song. And so, again, it's taking that combination of it being his first. He's it's demonstrating that, hey, it's blues music, but it is folk music. And he's adding in an opportunity uh, in, in the structure of the song he's copying or emulating and he's taking that same thing, but he's adding his guitar solo to it. No, that's a great song. And it, it, it's a familiar song because this is this is one where it is that kind of gump, gump, mm-hmm. gump, right? So you can see where the electric blues, the Chicago blues, they're going to really latch on to that bump, but um, but um. But that being said, if you're ready, I've got my number three. Yeah, well, it can only be one song. That's right. Because we're. If I had possession over Judgment Day. Yes. Now, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about an exciting song. So it opens with like what you think is going to be, you know, if you just kind of go through the album, if you're on Spotify and just kind of start each song, it kind of starts with ying, 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 ying. you know, they all kind of start similar. But this one does the ding, 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 ding. But then it goes into this like shuffle, like it's wild it has that exciting bass but it, it's just sliding up and down the neck for this riff while he's singing just up and down and up and down boom boom but it's walking it's sliding like this is one of the most exciting guitar songs i mean still to this day um and then he'll have these moments where it's i mean it's like I mean, you can hear where punk rock is coming because, you know, there's this kind of shuffling, you know, and then you know, where now that would be, you know, heavy on the drums, heavy guitar, bump, 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 bump. But he's doing it here. I mean, but they're, you know, really high notes that this is what people would say sounds impure, right? These are not good sounds, but the guitar is wailing. Right. And he's wailing. His woman's left him. If I had, you know, we've talked before on like the Sufjan episode about how breakups can feel like an, an in, in the end of the world scenario. And this is kind of that, uh, you know, so this this to me is just one of the great one of the great blues songs and one of his best one of my favorites. 
incredible eight songs to open up this album but then you take that you take that lp and you flip it over to side two and the opening track of side two is my first of my three favorite from the side b preaching blues this is a great song and in many ways preaching blues is his homage to Sunhouse, who also had a uh, baptist preacher blues um, and, and so there's there's similar ideas going on in both songs, and the guitar parts again the the basic chord structure of both songs is similar, but the guitar parts the way that Robert Johnson is playing them as we've already talked about he is doing what Sunhouse could not. Yeah, and this is more of that that shuffling. The boom chuck. This this has like an actual literal like boom chuck mm-hmm. in it. Uh, that's really great. And it's also one of the examples, and he does this a few times, where he uh, changes his voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, you know, within the song multiple times, not just like changing the pitch, but like actually changing the way that he sounds, which you can understand what, you know, which you would understand why Dylan is so fine, would find something like this so appealing. Um, you know, it's, it's that gravel. It actually sounds like when Prince would write songs for Morris Day. Yeah. And he tried to sound like Morris Day. It actually sounds actually quite like that 
Uh, so again, like not just a great guitar performance, but another great vocal performance of, of playing with, you know, kind of your physicality as as, as a vocalist. So what what you know, pushing that to to different limits and different characterizations. You know, yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's the way. In, in some ways, that's the way he's he's most paying homage to Sun House in this song. Is he? In, I mean, really, he tries to sound like him on two verses of this song. Yeah. Great, great side two uh, opener, that yeah. one. number two i mean this this is definitely kind of what people consider like a more traditional kind of standard uh, rambling on my mind yeah again here's here's another here's another blues number that has become a standard um not only has it become a standard this is a blues standard that has been covered and kind of reimagined by every imaginable artist so anyone you can think of that you're like oh man they were they were influenced by the blues they have done a version of rambling on my mind. Yeah. Well, what do you love about that song? Uh, I mean, for me, it's just someone who grew up not listening to this, but definitely listening to Zeppelin. 
Um, it's just one of those things like, oh, okay, everything I thought was so great about Robert Plant, it's actually Robert Johnson. I that that's the guy who I should be, you know. So Robert, we, we haven't even talked about Robert Plant. Uh, I mean, talking about Robert Johnson, not just as a great guitarist who everyone's going to imitate, but as a singer. Yeah. I mean, Robert Plant just completely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so not, not just his melodies and and his phrasing, which all of that, you know, this, this, how many Zeppelin songs rip this off. Um, But yeah, so I don't think people think of, blues music blues music isn't just like blues guitar music right it is also just that singing with conviction people thought that he actually sold his soul to the devil because he played and he sang like he did you had more to say and rambling on my mind that actually okay. leads to my second track my my second favorite track on side two which is the alternate take of me in the devil blues and this again this is one of his singles that was released as a as a 10 inch but the version that was released the 10 inch version is um, about 10 seconds longer um, and a little bit slower 
Um, and so uh, I, I think the reason that ultimately um, Don Law and John Hammond went with the shorter version on King of the Delta Blue Singers was was simply in order to get the eight tracks on the B-side of the album. Um, but still, I like, even though, again, it, it just shaves 10 seconds off, but that playing it at, at that just slightly faster pace gives so much immediacy to, like you said, this song he is singing about the devil showing up and basically saying, Hey, it's time. Like, and so again, if, if we've kind of talked about the, the, the mythology of Robert Johnson, and we've talked about this kind of crossroads experience. And again, the album opens with crossroad blues. I love me and the devil blues here towards the end of the album, kind of, you know, making this point of the devil saying, Hey, it's time kind of time to pay up with your life. It's time to go uh, time, time to be buried by the side of the road. And uh, you know, again, this is something that the single coming out in during his lifetime, I'm sure it was still a great song. But this unreleased alternate take that's a little faster, it's a little, you know, just just moves along a little bit quicker, has more sense of immediacy to it. And it's also now 23 years after his death. So the, there is a, um, there's, there's an added element to Me and the Devil Blues on the 61 uh, King of the Delta Blues Singers compilation that wasn't there when it was originally released as a single. So my old evil spirit 
catch a ground bus and ride. Yeah, I mean, and lyrically, this is, I think, one of the more interesting ones to one, just being like, I said, oh, hello, Satan, you know, just like the, the, the kind of the casual exchange with the devil. But there's also some really interesting stuff, you know, saying, you know, I'm going to beat my woman, which is typical for blues music. Right. Um, but there's something interesting about the woman here or who she may be. But it, it's it's just so interesting to me that the woman is saying, don't you understand why you do this? You mm-hmm. don't understand. You don't understand why you do this, do you? You don't understand why you're beating me. You know, so there's there's this there's this reckoning just like, why do I do the things I do? Richard Wright, you know, in Native Son, I think it's like the first line of Native Son, it's just like bigger does not understand why he does the things that he does. Now, baby, uh, you know you ain't doing me right, don't you? You know? She say, You don't see why. And then, you know, there's a ooh there. You know, why you're dogging me around. It must be that evil spirit so deep in the ground. Now, what's the evil spirit so deep in the ground? I could be all kind of, right? The roots of slavery. It could be, you know, but there's also, you know, the song about his body going underground. Right? There, there, there are so many layers here. It's not very clear um, exactly who's saying what or what the body is there's there's a lot right a lot lots to unpack it's 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 definitely a gift for people who want to look at this like a poem uh and yeah but but then you have this great image right you may bury my body down by the highway side like you're saying so my my old evil spirit can get a greyhound bus and ride which we know in 1961 right the freedom rides from from dc into mississippi uh, but they're trying to get to New Orleans, but they get stopped in Mississippi, and a lot of the the snake riders get stuck in prison down there, which becomes kind of the precursor to the you know uh, Freedom Summer, which will come in 1964. But the the image of the Greyhound bus becomes you know this interesting image again for the Great Migration, but also the oncoming you know civil rights movement. Uh, yeah, but, but death and and burial. When you were talking about Robert Johnson playing in a in a graveyard. I actually believe that because uh, mm-hmm. Southerners love a graveyard. You believe that he played in in the in these cemeteries? Yeah, because I because they're popular places and they're near churches, so they're probably they might be fairly lit. They they might be it might actually be easy to kind of get around potentially. They yeah, it's it's not that crazy and it's probably pretty safe. It's uh, just a very interesting uh, song and a wonderful song. Um, and I don't even remember if you chose that as your second one. Yeah, Hellhound on the Trail is my. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Me and the Devil Blues is my second. I apologize. Yeah, but that would be, by my count, that would be uh, my third. Uh, so I'm out. Uh, so for you, you, you so, just you just spilled it. Yeah, Hellhound uh, on the Trail. Yeah. 
baby I would need my little sweet rider just To pass the time away uh-huh. To pass the time away trail and again like i i think all of it ties in there is so much if you look at the blues music that was popular in the late 20s and early 30s this kind of idea of a hellhound was was common was popular again tying back to this idea to you know to to the devil into um demons and hounds of hell that are after people but again i think again recognizing that lynch mobs were a real thing and a real threat especially for so you know blues musicians in order to make a living during this era and in this time and in this place would often travel alone with just themselves and a guitar from town to town to town to town and that was a very dangerous thing to do in the 1930s in Mississippi, um, especially as a young black man. And so this idea that hellhound on my trail, um, again, this is a song that is sung with such conviction and such emotion. Um, you, I mean, you, you really get the sense that he is running for his life. But what I actually love most about this song is so, um, like, again, like a lot of his songs, blues musicians often use open tunings in their playing, especially uh, blues musicians who use slide guitar. But this is a song that is unique in that overwhelmingly in blues music, when open tunings are used, an open tuning is used to a major chord. And so I'm going to take a quick dive down music nerddom for the sake of our listeners. So, for example, if you were tuning a guitar to E major, you would tune the guitar going low to high, E, B, E, G sharp, B, E. That's how you would tune it because essentially you're taking six strings and you're making them into three notes and those three notes form this major triad. What he's doing on this song is he's tuning his guitar E, B, E, G, B, E. 
So essentially you're taking the G sharp to a G you're, you're letting it, you're letting it go flat, which makes it minor. And so if you do a slide on a minor guitar on a minor tune guitar, you are sliding minor intervals in and out of key over and over and over again as you're playing that song, because again, you've started with a minor tuning. So everything you're going to play is going to sound minor, which has the natural feeling of whenever you hear a song that's in a minor key, it, it feels heavy. It feels um, like things are not right. It feels almost uncomfortable. And then the way he is singing this song with these kind of loud screams and pleas really functions to make this a haunting song in a very, very haunting end uh, to this album. And I think a real picture of, again, not just Robert Johnson, the blues guitar player, not just Robert Johnson, the singer who sings with conviction and talent and skill, but Robert Johnson as a songwriter, songwriter and composer he is. And that's, that's language we don't often use when talking about a 27 year old who had for all intents and purposes, an elementary education. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is one of his quintessential songs, which is some of the most iconic imagery. So as we, as we think about kind of the legacy of this album, again, I think you've made this point. Well, Micaiah, like there's a great mythology and a legacy in, in kind of a legend around Robert Johnson, but the, the, the legend only matters because the music is so good. We now arrive at our big question. Does this album, Robert Johnson's King of the Delta Blue Singers belong on our list? I mean, absolutely. Now I understand what we're talking about. Just like, is this, is this an artist pick? Is this just like a history pick? Is it just like, because it's so influential? All right. Well, I mean, I listened to this compilation many times getting ready for this. And I listened to the complete recordings multiple times getting ready for this. And I enjoyed it every single time, if not a little bit more every single time. Mm -hmm. It's just so rich. The yeah. guitar playing is just unparalleled. The the singing is is the the performance of it is incredible. The lyrics, I mean, it, it's like great poetry. I mean, like it's happening at the same time as the Harlem Renaissance, and it can rival Claude McKay, you know, for all I care, or you know, Gene Toomer, you know, like it, it's it's that good. You know, and it's and because and I think Bob Dylan, you know, sees the poetry in what he's doing. And that's why someone like Robert Johnson really inspires him during that, like, important that that like blues rock era that he gets into in the 1965 run of albums. You know, so and it's not just because Dylan and, you know, we love Dylan. So obviously we're going to love this or want to, you know, pay respects to this. But I mean, blues is so important to American music, right? And if we only have one blues album, it should be this one. Now, I think there are other great blues albums, Muddy Waters Live at Newport, Moan in the Moonlight by Howlin' Wolf. I think those, I'll probably, I'll probably nominate both of those. BB King season. Live at the Regal. Live at the Regal, also 1965. 
Um, you know, so, you know, it, but if there has to be one, I think this is the one and not just because it's like the earliest or it's earlier than those two. I mean, I just think that Robert Johnson's songwriting and his performance and his guitar playing, I mean, I just, I mean, like what's better when we're talking about blues, but like what's better than this? Yeah. But who is it? You know, I, I, I don't think there is, I, I just don't think it gets much better than this. It's our list. So, I mean, who, who cares what our reasons are for putting an album on? I think that this is deserving of a spot on our list, even if none of the other stuff that was true about this album, even if it was just these 16 songs and, and let's say it was an artist who, you know, lived to be 70 years old before they died, um, you know, recorded music, you know, let's say this was an artist that didn't have all this legend and mythology around them. Like, mm-hmm. even if all of that was true, I still think these 16 songs, this compilation released in 1961 still goes on the list. I think everything else just adds to that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't think that we have to say, oh, well, it's, you know, this is a, this is a pick about historical importance. Well, so it is like, mm. that's, that's part of the artifact is that like, oh, is, is this it by the strokes? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's, everything yeah. has some sort of historicity. Yeah. So, so, I mean, like, look, we, I mean, the same is true when we're talking about thriller, like no one's, no one's arguing that thriller is only on the list because of, you know, because of its historical significance, which great songs. And so that's true for Robert Johnson as well. And so I think this is absolutely deserving of our list. And um, I, I'm really with you. I want to kind of mention this to our listeners listeners I'm, and i know for some of you we talk about albums you know and you're familiar with and you love but what we're also hoping to do here in this process is to do what makai and i both love which is to be exposed to music maybe you haven't heard before to be exposed to something that maybe you haven't done the deep dive and here's why listening to this compilation multiple times is important the first time you're going to enjoy it but as you get more familiar with this music, your in, your enjoyment is only going to grow. You will like this more the more you listen to it rather than getting bored or annoyed with it. This is something that will reward you for repeated listenings. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And I'll take a step further. Play the LP. I, I'm telling you, this sounds way better on vinyl than it does on streaming it it needs to be heard that way all right so if if you if you're feeling like you want to drop like 20 bucks or whatever on a new copy of it go ahead and do it and spend some time because it's it's a great record to to give a spin well listener what do you think if if you if this were your list would this be your first blues album to make it um should we be talking about Sunhouse. Should we be talking about uh, Blind Willie Johnson? Should we be talking about Howlin' Wolf or Muddy Waters first? Uh, let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at You Forgot One, uh, on Twitter at You Forgot One Pod. Of course, our website is youforgotone.com. And Micaiah, for everyone who's listening to our podcast who's not already uh, one of our uh, many followers and subscribers, what should they do to get the best and the most out of their podcasting experience? Well, you should like, follow, 
subscribe, whichever your podcast provider tells you to do so that as we're releasing new episodes, they're right there, you know, you know, as soon as we drop them, ready to be listened to. And if you like what you hear, uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can give us the five stars. You can do this one better. You can write a review that this helps other people find the show and it lets us know what it is that you're enjoying about so we can give you more of what you want. Mikai, I'm going to leave it up to you. What's the one track we should leave our listeners with? Well, I think we've covered this one really well. And you said earlier that you wanted to play some stuff from volume two also. Mm-hmm. So let's actually play, I believe I'll dust my broom from King of Delta Blue Singers volume two. Great, great track. Well, listener, we're going to leave you now with this great track from King of the Delta Blue Singers, Volume 2. And we'll be back next week to talk about Jay-Z's best album.